What do we do when we find ourselves up against the many leadership challenges that exist within our chosen careers? We all have goals and achievements that we would like to accomplish. Unfortunately, these desires don't come equipped with insight or awareness on how to bring these accomplishments to light. In essence, this is why the Dream Octane Niche Finder Framework was formed. Our founder, Clifton C. Manning, spent the first 17 of his 20-year career in healthcare working with physicians and healthcare leaders to achieve patient-centric goals while possessing only an associate's degree in applied science. At times, these challenges were daunting, and he felt unqualified to achieve the success he wanted. However, he focused on becoming intentional in reading every leadership book that he could find, as well as attending frequent seminars in areas where he saw opportunities to improve. Over time, as he applied insights gained from these various sources, he was able to successfully and efficiently cross the hurdles he found himself up against. Eventually, varying degrees of success within his sphere of leadership influence became more evident. The Niche Finder podcast is intended to bring similar insight to you, the listener, from those who have achieved some level of noteworthy success in their chosen career. Our hope is that the challenges they have overcome in the past will provide insight for your current leadership struggles and unlock the dream of achieving success in your own career. We believe that if innovative change is an engine, your unique dreams and abilities could be its fuel. And now I present to you the host of the Niche Finder podcast, Clifton C. Manning. I want to welcome you to this version of the Niche Finder podcast. Today we have a guest calling in from all the way, all the way across many seas, uh, Milburn, Australia. He's an artist who works with artists as a coach to help them to start to earn money off of their art. And this person that I'm talking to you about is none other than Fiona Valentine. Thank you for joining the program. Thanks for having me, Cliff. Nice to be here and look forward to talking with your audience. Excellent. Now, why would the audience have a vested interest in your journey? Well, I think all of us as human beings are creative, but it's easy to define those of us who are artists, designers, actors as the creative people and forget that actually 100% of the population are creative and I love really helping people to tap into their own creativity whether that's in their business whether that's in their everyday life whether that's in the way that they build a home for their family I think creativity is hugely important and 50% of the population don't actually believe they're creative so I think it's really important to be talking about our creativity Mm, what roadblocks did you encounter at the start of your career? I think all of us encounter imposter syndrome. That feeling that I'm a fake masquerading as, you know, pick, pick your area. Um, and I think once you realize that we all encounter that, and it's really that feeling that um, we're a fake is, is common to everybody. And it really doesn't mean anything about our abilities, that we can just have confidence that if I don't know something, I can go out and learn it. But it's my job to be the best version of myself that I can be. I think that's probably a pretty common obstacle for most of us when we're starting out in something, just that feeling that I'm a fake. And I think over the years I've learned that it's not about waiting until you feel ready. 
it's about getting ready. So I love to help the artists that I work with to get ready and to not feel alone in their um, facing of imposter syndrome because we've all been there. So the next question that I have for you is what external struggles did you have at the start of the journey? Well, it's just a whole different skill set when you start working online, obviously. Just learning how to put together a website, learning how to find your customers, learning how to write for the online space. I think, you know, if you've been in that space for a while, you start to realise that casual is the new professional, that a formal way of writing isn't really how we talk and so it doesn't really translate very well in an online space. And so learning to, to communicate in the same way that you would with a friend is really uh, a skill that I discovered I needed and so learning to blog, learning to write, learning to deal with social media, all of those skills um, practically were part of learning to share my art with the world, learning to put my um, art classes out there, all that sort of thing. So those those things that I learned to do, I started to realise this is all artists need this. When we're making that connection between our artwork and the wider world, there are a lot of micro skills that aren't part of the painting process. They are an extension of your creativity, but mm. they're different. And that's where I like to come in and help artists to build that collection of skills so that they're making that connection between their work and the people who love what they do. Mm. Did you have any mentors along the way? Oh, lots. Um, and because there, I didn't find that many artists who were working in this space. So I found that I was doing a lot of translating between business mentors who were helping people with services, products online. And then I was translating that into what it meant to do that as an artist. Um And so I I felt like I was breaking a lot of new ground. And I think that's one of the things that comes naturally to me. I'm I'm a born teacher. So if I've hacked my way through um, something that's difficult, I like making the pathway behind me easier. And somehow taking something that seems complex and overwhelming and realising, oh my goodness, if I'd known this in the beginning, my life would have been better. I then have a desire to to give that to someone else in a way that makes sense. So that's just part of how I'm wired. So all these things that I discovered, I, of course, wanted to put that in a tidy package and Mm. (laughs) hand it to someone else and make their job easier. Nice. What transformation did you experience on this journey? So many. I, I think whether you're diving into creativity because you're making art or whether you're doing it because you're making a business. I think there's a lot of overlap, a lot of personal growth that happens. And that feeling of imposter syndrome, that feeling of, you know, when will I feel good enough? Realising that those are just things that every human grapples with. And just getting on with the business of figuring out who am I? What, what strengths do I have? What skills do I need? And stepping into the work of making those things come together, deciding where it is that we want to go and making the choices that we do have the freedom to make within um, the limits that we've chosen. Perhaps those are um, family, perhaps those are location, um, perhaps there are time things. 
I think when we really look at who we are and our unique combination of strengths and weaknesses and experiences and challenges, I think our path starts to become more clear. Um, I'm a strong believer in artists finding their style by starting with what they know about themselves. And I think that's really true in business too, that we don't have to become something completely other. We're trying to become a better version of ourselves. So starting with what we already know about ourselves is really important. And that's such a combination of where we live, uh, the places that we've been, the people that we care about, our personality, our experiences, all of those things go into making who we are and and where we're going next. So I think this this kind of taking inventory and making a path that's quite customised while also learning from the things that are common to every business or common to every artist. I thank you for sharing that great insight. Um, you know, as far, and I think it's so true. I think it, I think that you have, um, whether it be imposter syndrome or people have an, an ideal of what that thing that they're pursuing should look like, um, that could set an expectation that may not even be real. Like they may be so unique that they can't find outside of them what they're trying to achieve because what they have outside outside of them or what they have inside of them may may be um the first of its kind right and i I think like james clear said in his book in atomic habits i think he had a great line in it that says specialization is a perfect way to overcoming bad genetics right so you may think like oh man i can't do this but if you specialize in certain things it really won't matter if you if you think that you didn't come from the right background you're not the right makeup you don't have all of the, the the things that made this other person who you were looking at perfect he says well you specialize you can actually overcome some of those hurdles, and I and I think you are are, are are it's 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 I hear that in what you're saying, so I consider that to be yeah. a portion of your journey, which I love it. I love how you were doing the art, and now that you're helping other people to do the art and the business, how you couple the two together. Now I want to find out um, what I consider to be your niche. A niche for me falls into five different categories. The first is passions. What do you do that? you have a strong interest in what is purposeful to you that's what you do that gives you meaning patterns is the third one proficiency is like patterns but where patterns are what you do naturally well proficiencies is what you've learned to do well over time and then there's problem solving like not only solving a problem but finding a problem to solve is also it's also at times half the battle so if we go back up to the top when we talk about your passions what do you do then when you do it, you feel ignited? There's quite a few things that where I feel that way. And I think for me in the last couple of years, recognising that teaching has always been a huge part of that. And because you always teach something, it's easy to overlook the fact that teaching is actually a thing that can... Uh, go over multiple subjects or multiple areas of interest but it's a thing by itself so in pursuing art um, for a long time I thought that I was teaching art so as a way of becoming an artist and I've realized over time that actually for me teaching is the stronger of the two both gifts are there but uh, and art is definitely my topic, but it's the teaching that is stronger for me even than being an artist, which I didn't recognise at first. And people who were close to me would look at me and go, well, of course, I could have told you that. 
Sometimes we're, we're slow to see the obvious in our own lives. And so for me, it's been a real journey of combining multiple passions. Um, I, became, I, I met my husband overseas when I was quite young on a trip and we, we were really kindred spirits. And I was blessed to find him so young. And he followed me to Australia. We got married and we went back to Africa and worked in missions for quite a few years. When we came back to Australia, um, we had a second daughter and I, I homeschooled my kids for quite a few years. So that, that teaching side of me was being well exercised. And then came time for the girls to go to school and it was a new season and I sort of had this early midlife crisis really, realised I wasn't qualified to do anything I was really passionate about. So I got a job um, working in admin and I learned a lot and I moved into management in that role after some time. I was there for about seven years, lovely family company, and I learned so many skills. But on the side, I was painting and that passion to be doing work that I really enjoyed was just growing. And that's when I really started looking at well, how do I make a living as an artist? And I moved into teaching art and eventually realised that I was finding so much fulfilment in helping other artists learn to express themselves creatively, but then also take it a step further and share that gift that they had for creativity with the world. So I stepped into helping them to develop their art and also develop their art business. And that's brought together multiple passions for me and it's also meant that I've been able to build a business in a way that I'm still able to be there for my family. My girls are grown now. Um, my second daughter, Michaela, is on the autism spectrum and she and I are currently writing a book about our experiences of living with autism. So I've, I've loved having a life where I can do these sort of multi-passionate things um, and bring together those interests. And I think whatever we do, when we keep learning about who we are, as the years go by, you just get more clarity. And I think you bring that to your work, you bring that to your relationships. And I think that's a really fulfilling thing. What do you do that feels purposeful? Meaning like when you do it, you feel like you were ignited. I find a lot of purpose in helping artists really discover what it is they're most excited to be creating. And to see that building their business and connecting that art with people who appreciate it is an extension of their creativity. So helping them discover the unique way that they're going to walk that out, it just feels very purposeful because really it's, it's about helping other people step into their purpose and equipping them to do that. And that's incredibly fulfilling to me. That's the thing that I really love about, about teaching and I love this intersection of art and business um, and creativity. To me, that it's a really unique combination um, and it's come out of knowing myself better. It's also come because, as most people who are married, you, you find yourself married to someone who's opposite to you yeah. and that brings a whole set of strengths and insights that you don't have by yourself. Yeah. My husband um, coming to Australia with a medical background wasn't able to work in his field here. So after we spent some years working in Africa where he did a lot of translation and church planting, when he came back here, a friend offered him a job in the printing industry. Mm. 
And so he had to completely reskill. These days, he's been in lean for quite some time, which is a whole set of values and behaviours that help companies to value their people and to minimise waste. And it's it's um there's a whole culture. I don't know if you're familiar with lean at all, but it's fascinating. It's really looking at human nature and optimising relationships and efficiencies in the way that we work and lean works in hospitals it works in manufacturing it works in schools any context really it's about looking at how humans work best Um, a lot of these ideas came through toyota and they're famous for their lean methodologies so picking up on these having conversations with mike um, my husband about what was going on in the lean world and in businesses And looking at that through the lens of an artist and a teacher, I started to see how many overlaps there are. And so the things that he was learning about the way that we operate, the way that we function efficiently, that was influencing my teaching and the way that I was building my business. And I started to see that people who were stepping into learning to paint were facing the same fears and challenges in stepping into their creativity that businesses are facing. It's easy to think of uh, makers, you know, artists, painters, musicians, as being creative, whereas maybe the business world, not so much. It's a, it's a different beast. But actually, if you're asking your team to come up with uh, problem solving, to come up with new business ideas, to come up with uh, marketing solutions, you're constantly asking your team to be creative. And if they don't, like 50% of the population, don't believe they're creative, it's virtually impossible for them to do their job. Mm. So I realised that people in the business world need to understand that 100% of humans are creative. It's not a question of the special few. It's a function of your brain. But it needs to be recognised and it needs to be developed. And the first is just the affirmation that you have a creative brain. <laughs> now, how do you develop that? And once you've got that confidence that you are creative, then it becomes about skills. I don't believe that our creativity is mostly about talent. I think talent is a thing, clearly. Some people are extremely gifted. But for most of us, it's really about skills. You probably won't even know how talented you are until you built, you've learned some skills. The wonderful thing about skills is that you can learn them, that they come with training, practice and feedback. I think when you focus there Mm. and you combine creativity with that training, practice and feedback, the potential that people are able to realise in their business, in their personal life, um, is just never-ending. And that is very purposeful and very exciting to me to bring those things together so yeah i love talking about the the business skills for artists and the creative skills for business Mm, i love it charles stanley actually has a quote that says a god-given goal is the continuous achievement of what god wants me to be and when i talk about finding your niche what patterns do you have what do you do that makes you who you are when you say i do this naturally well I think it's looking at something I've learned and thinking, okay, that was messy. How how do I tidy this up? How do I make this easier for somebody else? And I started observing myself doing that with becoming a better painter as I was learning about colour theory, as I was learning about value, as I was learning about composition. 
I started to realise that my classes were going beyond just having a project and helping people to paint that project. I was really going into how do I explain colour theory better? How do I make it matter? How do I... um, make it something that's learnable because I'm hearing people talking about it and they're all using different terms and nobody's defining terms. How how do I explain this better? Um, And I started to realise, okay, the, the excitement for me is not even just in making the painting. It's not even just in helping someone else make a painting. It's being able to articulate how things work whether that's how things work in the painting world whether that's how things work in business there's something about making systems making processes giving explanations that make sense that have people go oh now I get it I I think that's every teacher's dream is having that moment with a student where they're like oh now I get it you know people feeling empowered so finding ways to do that I think is um, something that comes naturally to me that over time I've realized about myself that that's been there my whole life that's just a really driving thing and I get to lean into it in in my business Mm. Dr. Miles Monroe said success is the potential destiny of all created things and when I read that quote I really think that it really takes something that is not only the potential of it being able to become something but there's some effort behind helping it to get to that end result so I see some proficiency in that when you think about what you've gotten better with over time what would you consider that to be? a long list of skills especially moving into the online space and these are some of the skills that have become part of my business school for artists that how do you set up a website and manage it yourself how do you set up an email list how do you reach out to people on social media how do you make those things work together as an ecosystem so that there's a strategy behind it you're not just sort of flinging mud at the wall and hoping some of it sticks but there's actually a strategy here where you're calling the right people to pay attention to what you're doing and you're giving them a way to take action by joining your list by um you know commenting on what you're doing on social media by being aware that you've got a collection coming out in a couple of months and being able to be notified of when that collection is available those sorts of things so being really strategic about each of those pieces um, obviously that takes time it takes time to learn to create graphics for a website it, learn, it takes time to learn to write a blog it takes time to write email effectively takes time to function on social media effectively there's graphics there's writing there's engaging with people but then above all of those things there's the strategy that brings them all together for the unique goals of an artist who's wanting to connect with people who love their work they can afford it and they can't wait to buy it so all of those individual pieces took time but the thing that's been really exciting is bringing them together into an ecosystem that achieves the particular goals of artists mm. uh, Les Brown actually has a quote he says in life you will always be faced with a series of God-given and God-ordained opportunities brilliantly disguised as problems and challenges what problems do people come to you to solve in a unique way well, they really want to know, how do I make money from my art? How, how, is it even possible? Uh, how do I find customers? How do I find the right 
customers, uh, what do I do about pricing? Should I price my work low so I make more sales? Well, actually, no, because um, there are people at the bottom and the top of the market. It makes more sense to target those who've, who have the means to buy your art. Um, lots of questions like that, just practical questions of where do I start? Do I need an art degree? Do I need to be picked up by a gallery? Do I need to win awards and become better known that way? A lot of artists tend to focus on things that actually aren't in their control and I encourage them to focus on the things they can control, which is having a very clear message, setting up that email list, building that connection with the people who love what they do. And I actually start them on that process with some very clear questions. Number one, how much time do you want to spend making art and building a business? Number two, how much money do you want or need to make? And number three, what do you really love to do? And then we look at where those three things overlap and it becomes more clear then what's the highest value offer that you can create in that area of overlap. And that's where we focus because too often it's easy to pick up sort of something that feels small and doable and think, well, I'll grow into the rest of it. And we end up spending all of our time on something that's never going to be able to achieve our goals. So starting with the strategy and the clarity first means then we're, we're working on the right things. Mm. So author Michael Hyatt said, usually you get just enough light to take the next step. And this next segment is what I want to segue in with that quote, because now you're going to be helping to illuminate the path of your younger self, meaning way before you even got into what you're doing right now. At the very beginning, when it was just kind of like a passing thought, now you got the candle in your hand as the future self about to illuminate the path of your past self. What would you say to that person as a secret that will help accelerate your younger self from where they are at that moment in time to where you are today? Oh, so many things. I'd like to have a long chat with that girl. (laughs) Part of it is, of course, you know, recognizing that we are creative and that's a huge part of how God's made us. It's part of his gift to us of making us in his image. And it's there not just for productivity, but it's there for joy. And when we ignore or make that part of ourselves less important because somehow it's not as productive perhaps Um, we have some strange ideas around creativity but when we sideline that part of ourselves we're damaging all of ourselves because creativity really is part of everything that we do so I would um, want to encourage that girl that creativity is a huge part of how she's wired and that God wasn't asking me to be somebody I'm not but that in whatever he called me to do, uh, whether it was something I expected or something I didn't expect, that he is very aware of who I am. And so looking at how he's wired me and where he's wired me for joy, understanding that that would be a big part of whatever it is that he asks me to do. Um, I didn't see that clearly. That was harder to see when I was younger. And um, particularly because we were living in... Africa in a situation where there was a lot of uh, poverty. We were living in a mud village without electricity and running water. And so we were up close and personal with poverty and suffering. And it's easy to 
tell yourself things that aren't quite true in that context. And I think a lot of us bump up against this when we come close to suffering in some form or another, whether it's sickness, whether it's war, uh, whether it's a natural disaster, or, or whether it's like in my situation of living in a community where there is a lot of need. Those things can do funny things to our ideas about what matters. Um, and if only I'd been able to see at the time that the women around me who didn't have a lot, they were still enjoying their creativity. They were still decorating everyday items. They were still making things for the children and embroidering their clothing. And they were just enjoying that part of their everyday life. That for me, I was overcomplicating things and felt like that was somehow self-indulgent and I needed to push it aside. But I was doing myself a lot of damage. And I think I was viewing God in a much more service-oriented way and somehow missing the fact that he is always relational and that service never is first with him. And I, it took me some time to sort of have that tipped upside down and, mm. and realise that it's always about the relationship. And when we start there, then the service flows out of something mm. that's nourished, not something that's that's striving to, I don't know, gain um, a rightness in our relationship that is never going to come through service. It's always a gift. Mm. So I'm going to tell you after we do this recording, um, that last response that you just gave, that's going to be a rinse and repeat. I'm going to have to rewind that a couple of times. That was beautifully said. <laughs> I love it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It reminds me of a quote by Rick Warren, and it said, God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. And when I hear what your journey has gone through, um, I, I just wonder, what would you tell yeah. your younger self to help get them started and stay committed? I don't know that I ever had a challenge with commitment. I feel like that was something that was um, fairly strong for me. Um, I'd seen my mum and dad make choices to to follow God and to serve in unique ways, ways that were costly to them. Um, and a lot, I grew up in a Christian school context, and so I had a lot of role models of people who took their relationship with God seriously and found a lot of fulfilment in that. So the commitment side of things wasn't so much a challenge for me, but I think there are a lot of... Um, things that we have to unlearn perhaps when we're approaching life from a committed point of view to realize yeah that God is the one who does the equipping and that he's doing that inwardly for those of us who are believers he promises us that he indwells us by his spirit and it's the Holy Spirit of God who is um, enabling us leading us teaching us growing us and so there's a real rest in that that I don't have to come up with the goods myself but it's a process of listening. It's a process of being honest. A process of recognizing that I'm human and I need rest and I need I need fun. I need a relationship. Mm. Um, it's easy to get burned out by being over committed and yeah. not really having a realistic view. I think God has a much more realistic view of who we are. And yes, He's calling us to something that's um, 
that takes a supernatural strength, but he's not expecting us to come up with that ourselves. That's something he's giving us in an ongoing kind of way. Um, after we came back to Australia, our second daughter, uh, who's on the autism spectrum, uh, has had she's in her twenties now, but it's been a long a long road with her with multiple health issues, and. Um, God has just been very kind to us in helping us through that season and helping me see somebody who's just very different from me, in my daughter, and seeing how much in somebody who outwardly perhaps had a lot of struggles, what a beautiful thing God did inwardly in making her who she is. Uh yeah, so I don't know exactly how that fits with our conversation, mm. except that just watching her and seeing the the kindness, the generosity and the empathy for others that he's given her that has directly grown out of her struggles. Um, that's been a powerful thing for me to, to learn, to recognise and to stop worrying about some of the external things that don't matter as much mm. and to um, just let her be herself and to see what, what lovely things God's done with that. Mm. And, you know, I appreciate your transparency and for sharing that, uh, even with the journey that you've gone through with your husband and, and yourself going through with your daughter. And as you were speaking, I, I just couldn't help but think about two things. One when we talk about God um, not calling the equip but equipping the call and I tie into what you just said back to what you said previously about simplifying things and wanting to have it be a teacher it's almost as if you were made for this moment right like for being able to um, break things down and, and, and be able to uh, even see the insight like what you're saying um, with your daughter I think it's, it's like it's it, it it just for me, my, at least in my head, it kind of just fits perfectly, right? And I almost feel and the it's second funny. part of it is it reminds me of the scripture um, in the book of Esther when she says, you know, uh, you know, when mm. Mordecai says to her, could it be that you were called for such a time as this? And, and that is such yeah. a challenging statement that we can find ourselves in our deepest and darkest moments or in our moments that feel uncomfortable or feel like, why me or why this or why now? Could it be that we were called for such a time as this? And I appreciate the journey that you shared that you've been sharing, you know, with your husband and also the journey that you just shared with about your daughter. Thank you for doing that. So next question that well, I my have. My pleasure. <laughs> next good, thank you. The next question that I have for you is um, how frequent should you make time to develop your niche? I think it just becomes part of your life. When your niche is really just what, you know, the unique role that you have, the unique contribution that you're making, the unique audience that you're talking to, because as soon as you start to try to talk to everybody, you're suddenly not really talking to anybody. <laughs> your, your unique combination of skills and experience and um, knowledge and the things that you're interested in, that is not going to be the same as anybody else. And so as you're growing and developing, you're learning more about your niche. You're learning more about that audience and what matters to them and how you particularly serve them. So I think it just is a constant thing where you're learning more about who you are 
maybe you're developing new skills, but you're also becoming better at articulating what matters to this niche that you're working within. So I think it's just an ongoing process. I don't think life ever stands still. And I think it's exactly the same with your niche is that you're constantly curious about the people that you're serving. You're constantly curious about the life journey that you're on. And that should be reflected in an ongoing development of skills and a refinement of your messaging. And I I just think that doesn't ever stand still. If it does, it starts to sound trite. And it loses its um, its relevance and its freshness. But when we're constantly learning and growing, I think that's constantly reflected in our words. And so the transformational quality that we bring to the people that we work with is always fresh. So, yeah, I just think it's ongoing. Hmm. I love it. Last question that I have for you is, how do you know when it's time to change course versus staying focused on your goal? such a challenging thing because we can be so shiny object (laughs) driven especially those of us who are uh, curious yeah I think uh, for me journaling's always been a really helpful thing for self reflection Mm. because I can look back and go okay what was I thinking a week ago Mm. what was I thinking last month (laughs) what was I thinking this time last year so speaking to myself or um, even you know, writing down my conversations with the Lord in a journal has been a really helpful way for me to reflect. Um, and I think if I'm thinking about making a change, then I like to sit with that for a while. I like to ask God about it. I like to expect um, that there will be answers to those questions that I have whether that comes through a conversation with a husband, a friend or um, something I'm reading whether it's in, in the Bible or somewhere else um, whether it comes through a book that I've picked up or a podcast I've listened to um, I think when you're looking and you're really making particular time to sit quietly uh, with those questions about do I change, do I not change um, is it time to stick with the program or, or make a switch here? Then for me, I've just seen over and over and over that when, when we really want to know what God thinks, He loves to share His thoughts with us. Mm-hmm. And I've never found that not to be true, that when I want to know what He thinks, when I want to know what to do next, when I'm asking for wisdom, that it appears that there are answers and um, over time the clarity comes wow well you know on our show today ladies and gentlemen is you're just tuning in to the niche finder podcast we are privileged to have calling all the way from melbourne australia fiona valentine and um she she's someone who i, I think that if you are a visual artist you want to want to get to know her and how would they do that you can find me on Instagram, Fiona Valentine Artist, and my website, fionavalentine.com, is a great place to check out my uh, free guide to how to start selling your art. You can learn more about the um, Business School for Artists and my program for working with businesses, the Art of Innovation Workshop. So it's all there at fionavalentine.com. 
All right, we'll make sure we have those links inside the description of this particular episode. And for those who are also in, interested in getting in contact with us, you know, dreamoctane.org is the best way to get in contact with us. And we believe the reason we have experts on like Fiona is because we feel that if innovative change is an engine, your unique dream and ability could be its fuel. We want to thank you for tuning in today. And we look forward to having the very next artist who can help you on your journey towards success. Thanks again.